Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we're continuing our devotional study series in the book of Psalms. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham. And we'd love for you to join us over there. Uh, we're looking at today at Psalm 90, if you'd like to uh, open in your Bibles to Psalm 90. Uh, I'm actually going to sort of read as we go and comment on the psalm as we go. Um, but uh, Psalm 90 is the first book in uh, what we call book four of the psalms, because the psalms are actually divided into five books. Uh, and um, generally speaking, there is a bit of a pattern uh, the Psalms aren't just put in there randomly. Uh, the first book of the Psalms, Psalm, Psalms 1 to 41, are kind of personal. You know, the Lord is my shepherds. They're very personal. Uh, books 2 and 3 uh, from Psalms 42 through to uh, Psalm 89 are more kind of national. They're about the city of God, the people of God. And books 4 and 5 um are more uh, liturgical they're about worship so we have a lot of the hallelujah psalms coming in towards the end of uh, book four and book five now psalm 90 is the first psalm in book four and most of the psalms in book four are described as orphan psalms poor psalms because they have no obvious author no parents uh, but there is an exception because here in Psalm 90, we're told that the author is Moses, the man of God. So this is actually the oldest psalm that we have in the entire uh, Psalter, which makes it significant. It is actually an incredibly precious psalm. It's very precious to me personally, actually. And I may or may not get time to mention why uh, God really used this psalm to change my life a few years ago. But it is a poignant and powerful psalm, the earliest psalm that we have in the Psalter, written by Moses. Imagine the context there. They are in the wilderness, wandering around the desert. Um, and it's a time of futility. It's a time of judgment, of course, where they're in the desert. And uh, Moses, the man of God, is reflecting on the brevity of life and the futility of life without God, and yet also the hope of life with God. Uh, now, this psalm is often used at funerals uh, and um, it has a somber kind of note to it. Um, in fact, there is a wonderful quote that's worth just quoting from Derek Kidner, and he likens this psalm to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, you remember, talks about all men are like grass and so on. Well, here, uh, Kidna says only Isaiah 40 can compare with this psalm for its presentation of God's grandeur and eternity over against the frailty of man. But whilst Isaiah is comforting, the psalm is chastened and sobering even though the clouds disperse in the final prayer. I think that's beautifully put. Um, and this psalm actually inspired a hymn, uh, Our God, um, O God, Our Help in Ages Past by Isaac Watts. Uh, and it's actually a hymn that is used often at funerals. Uh, it was reputedly sung on the Titanic on the morning before the Titanic sunk, according to one of the passengers. And it's often used at remembrance services as well. 
But I would like to suggest to you that this psalm is actually a psalm ultimately that gives true meaning to life. It doesn't have to be just a sober, somber psalm, but ultimately a psalm that leads us to joy and to life if we're prepared to face the facts that are starkly portrayed for us in this this psalm. So let me give you a few headings. Firstly, in verses one to two, and these are my headings, uh, God is timeless. We see that God is timeless. In verses sort of three to six, we read that man is temporary. Um, And then in verses seven to 11, we read that God is terrifying. Uh, And then finally, uh, in verses 12 to 17, we read that life is transformed if we get hold of the truths of this psalm and turn it to prayer. And so this psalm actually finishes with a very profound statement about the value of work. So if you're about to go into the office this morning, then hold on to the very end because it just talks about the value of our work before God if faith is involved in our work. And so let's go through it. Verses one to two, God is timeless. So we see there, O Lord, Uh, You have been our dwelling place through all generations before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and his and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. And so as that Isaac Watts hymn puts it, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. You can imagine the uh, Israelites wandering around in the wilderness as nomads without anywhere to shelter. They had temporary shelters and they're able to say here in this psalm that God has been their dwelling place throughout all generations. In other words, reaching back uh, beyond Moses, back to Joseph, but further back still to uh, Jacob and further back still to Isaac and further back still to Abraham, right the way through, through all generations, God has been their dwelling place. Um, We read then that he is this one who is from everlasting to everlasting, the eternal God. And then we turn in verses three to the ephemeral nature of man, eternal God, Man is ephemeral, or if you like, God is timeless, man is temporary. And so we read in verses three, uh, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. And so we see there the temporary nature of human existence. And uh, this is a sobering uh, insight that we get. We get a series of devastating images in these verses. We read of man coming from dust. 
going back to the dust. Remember, Moses wrote this psalm. And so Moses, who also wrote Genesis, Genesis 1 to 3, which talks about God being timeless and from everlasting to everlasting uh, in the beginning, God. Uh, there's already been that kind of reference. Now in verse 3, there is this reference to man coming from the dust. Uh, but going back to the dust, we read now, Moses says in this psalm in verse three, we're destined to return to the dust. Uh, and then there's this picture of like a watch in the night, just one watch in the night. Imagine by the campfire in the desert, a watch. That's the life of a, of a, of a man, one watch. In the night. Or like a flash flood in verse five, it talks about sweeping man away. And that's a picture of a imagine in a wadi that the flood suddenly comes and rushes through the valley and then just sort of dissipates, whimpers away. Uh, and uh, rather than with a bang, with a whimper, the world ends, as T.S. Eliot put it. And so we see this kind of just temporary nature of man. Again, another picture of us like being one big sleep. You know, you go to sleep at night and unless like Kate last night, you were woken four times by the cat, you kind of wake up the next morning and it's just like that, that you slept and you wake up. Little do we know that over those eight hours, um, you know, a nurse did a full shift. But from your perspective, it was just you went to sleep and you woke up. That's how quickly it went. And so it is in life that that's how quickly life just goes, just like that, like a sleep in the night or like grass, grass that in the morning uh, springs up in the desert, uh, full of life, full of promise, full of freshness. But actually, by the end of the day, it's burnt and it's withered uh, and it's fading. Uh, and life is frustrating. So life begins uh, with full of promise, full of potential. Uh, but actually, it ends up being a life of futility and frustration and brevity as well, like the grass that promises so much but ends up delivering so little. And so our life is like that. Now, in verses 7 to 11, we get the reason why life is like this. And it wasn't ever supposed to be like this. But there is a reason. And remember, again, Moses is writing this. Moses, who tells us in Genesis 1 to 3 about the original sin of man, which led to the death of man and the futility of life. And so that's what the psalmist here says in verses 7 to 11. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. And so we see here, that the reason why life is futile and brief is because of the sin of man and the anger, the wrath of God. God is pouring out his wrath on man because of his sin. Uh, originally, of course, in the garden, God said, you know, if you if you eat this, you shall surely die. Uh, and so that's what's happening. As Paul said in Romans, the wages of sin are death. And so there is this death because of sin. But it's not just original sin. This is the actual sins of the people of God as well and of us, because he says that you set our secret sins before you, our secret sins before you. Uh, and uh, so there is this reference to our actual sins. As of course, the people of God in the wilderness had constantly moaned and groaned and rebelled and complained and eaten uh, when they shouldn't have done and craved after meat and so on. Uh, and God judged them. Even Moses himself, who struck the rock, 
twice when he shouldn't have done. And so there is this allusion here to the reason why life is like this is because of the deserved justice and righteousness and wrath of a timeless, eternal, perfect, holy God. And so therefore, our lives, if we're lucky, 70 years average, 80 if we're lucky, he says, that's not a time limit. It could be 90, it could be 100. Either way, whatever way, it's still brief in the overall scheme of things compared to a thousand years uh, or compared to God's time scale. It is brief. Now, if we finish the psalm there, we would all go away very depressed for the rest of the day. Uh, and um, indeed, life, uh, people do, non-Christians do. Samuel Beckett wrote a one-minute movie that you can find on YouTube where he basically depicts life as starting as just blackness and then the light comes up and then there's a pile of junk on the stage and there's, um, there's a sigh, a human sigh, and then a human sigh as the light goes down and then it goes back to darkness. That's it. One minute movie, no actors, uh, no script, uh, just kind of life is, and then darkness. That's life. That's the end. Existentialism, if you like. But actually, of course, what we find in the biblical account is not that. We get hope and we get this wonderful thing in verse 12. We're told, teach us, Lord, to number our days aright uh, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So what the psalmist is saying here is if we can value life, if we can see how precious life is, then we will be wise and we'll use our time wisely. And so what he says is a bit like supply and demand. You know, my daughter was saying the other day, why are diamonds so expensive? Well, there may be a number of reasons for that, but one of them is supply and demand. If there's a scarceness of a resource, it's worth a lot more. And so if time is scarce, if we realize that life is short, then we will value it more. We'll consider it as more precious. Every day will be a gift from God. That moment yesterday when I walked across a field and there was a deer leaping across, or that moment last night when I was walking along the canal and there was the moon above the canal and two swans swimming past. You know, life is precious. Every day is precious because life is short, but it's a gift from God. So give us wisdom to value life and to make the most of every opportunity that we have in this life. And so the psalmist finishes with this wonderful prayer, this incredible prayer, uh, where he says, Lord, relent. Uh, relent, O Lord. How long will it be? That phrase relent there means, Lord, turn back. So in other words, God has turned man to dust in verse three. But now the psalmist says, Lord, you turn back to us. You repent, Lord, of your judgment against us, oh God. Don't forget us. Turn. How long will it be? He's pleading with God, um, as we will at our prayer meeting tomorrow night. Lord, how long will it be that we have to suffer? Have compassion on us, oh God. We should do that. We should ask God. We should say, Lord, turn back to us. Turn back to us and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. This image here of a morning that is now full of promise, not a morning where the grass looks promising but then fades away, but now a morning where there is unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. He finishes with this note of there can be joy, there can be singing rather than sighing. 
so we can sing and rejoice and be glad and be full of joy because we know God and faith transforms a futile life into a worthwhile life. It takes ashes and turns them to beauty. Beauty for ashes. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. So he cries out to God that uh, God may, would make it up to us, that God would ultimately give us more back than we have lost. And that's the grace of God we see in the New Testament, that we get far more back than we lost in the fall. We get the grace of God and this awesome verse at the end. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. And that word favor is also the word beauty. May the beauty of the Lord our God rest upon us. The beauty of God. With God, we have his beauty resting upon us. Beauty for ashes. And therefore, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In other words, he finishes by saying, Lord, may my work, the work of my hands, what I do with my hands today, have a legacy that will last forever, that isn't futile, that isn't worthless. But as 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 Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, your labor is not in vain. As we work for God, as we follow a vocation for God, our labor is not in vain. He can establish the work of our hands, that it can be meaningful and worthwhile, that God can transform emptiness into fullness fullness of joy for those who have faith in him. And so let us pray. Lord, I do ask you that we would live in the light of this psalm, that we would value the days we have, that we'd see each day as a gift and as precious, that it would give gratitude to us, Lord, that we would be aware because life is precious uh, because your every morning your love is unfailing towards us, your Hesed covenant love is unfailing, that therefore we can be grateful and we can uh, give ourselves to the work of serving you, the work of our hands, which will be worthwhile because it's in your hands. And so, Lord, I pray for us today that we would all know that grace upon us, that beauty of God upon our lives that would transform a dreary, day in uh, November, in lockdown, transform it into a day of light and life, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.